0: go live completely forgotten what i've been doing completely forgotten how to do this from a month of being away um is the twit thing i'm live there you go beautiful cam mcbride is there happy Stray day yes happy stray day then this is why i'm so extraordinarily casual well extraordinarily casual for this podcast and video thing uh, this is my normal attire and hairdo when I'm not trying to be presentable. So, to, uh, to Cam's point, <laughs> it, it is Australia Day here at the moment, 26th of Jan. Um, it was really nice weather. I tweeted some photos, uh, actually, a couple of hours ago, and here on the Gold Coast, our claim to fame is that we have more canals than Venice and Amsterdam combined. Now... I've lived near Amsterdam, and I just went to Venice, Uh, and I can say yes, we definitely have a lot more than than all those places. So a lot of people just get out in the water, and we just went out in the water early today because it gets super super chaotic busy out there on Australia Day. Like if you just Google like Gold Coast Water Australia Day, it's nuts. So we went out at like I think six something this morning. And it was beautiful. And the sun was out and it was so bright. And the water was, what a I say on my watch, 26 degrees or something. There's fish everywhere. It was lovely. Uh, then it started getting very, very busy. So we thought, okay, that's a good time to come home. So now it is 10.30 local. And I feel like I've had half a day already, which is which is great. Which is part of the joy of being home as well. Because here we do, I think in Australia in general, but here on the Gold Coast in particular, we start early. So we get up at 5 o'clock every day, but we go to bed at eight something and you get your, you know, your eight hours sleep. That's nice being home. It's really, really nice. A week ago, it was minus 20 in Oslo. Not here. Wayne's here. G'day, Wayne. Thomas, welcome back from the northern fridges. Yeah. I've got some tan left. Some tan. A lot of it disappeared over the last four weeks, but um, we'll fix that very soon, which is good. I'll, uh, I think I'll rep- Respond to this person later. I I I knew there'd be something. I knew there'd be so. I, I didn't think it would be this. I knew there'd be someone who was upset at how much we were enjoying Australia Day. <laughs> so the photo I've sent is just like the back of the boat, like looking out of the water, and the sun's there. And I've gone happy Australia Day, perfect Gold Coast weather, smiles all around. This person's not happy. Tell me you've lost touch with the rest of society, dealing with an economic downturn, without telling me you've lost touch with the rest, because this is what people do now, they say tell me this without telling me this, as if it's some clever thing they have just thought of. Um, Let's <laughs> just mention it to times I, I just laugh, they're funny. Uh, I sent them the guitar lessons blog post, I don't think they quite understood it, so I'll follow up later. But i was saying to Shah, can you remember the last time someone said, uh, or we said generally society, Gee, everything's fine. (laughs) There's no poverty. Everybody's happy. There's no housing crisis. There's no wage squeeze. Everything is just, at least it's always something. And someone will always find a reason to, as they say, piss in your cornflakes. So I'm not going to let that worry us too much. Uh, Anyway, where are we? Right, back to business, back to usual. Sponsor this week, as per last week, is Report URI. Uh, I kind of feel that for most of the people I speak to, Report Your doesn't need any introduction. This is the project Scott Helm started many years ago now. I got involved in a little bit after that, continues to kick goals, doing amazing stuff, fantastic service for doing things like reporting on content security policy violations. Uh, you can catch those for free in the browser. It's part of the spec. It works in everything, but you really want to capture the reports so that you can then actually have a look at what's going on. I'm not even going to read the tagline because I think I can do a better explanation of it than like the 140-character length. So Report Your Eye is fantastic for doing that. Uh, You can jump on over to the website and have a little bit of a run with it. If you haven't played with security headers before, it is kind of awesome how much stuff the browser can do straight out of the box. And uh, we normally say in, in the workshops, it's like, you know, you can go and buy very expensive appliances and some of them are very good too. Use the stuff that your browser does for free. You know, that that's a really good starting point and then add the other stuff on top of it uh, and then have a service to actually be able to make sense of all the stuff that your browser does for free. That's where Report Your Eye comes into it. All right, so we're done there. Ben. Hey, Troy. Happy Australia Day. Yeah, thanks, mate. <laughs> we're still going here. I'm tempted to go to Bunnings and have a sausage today. Uh, the Aussies will understand that. <clears throat> Might do that cam says any thoughts on microsoft hack now this one is interesting uh and clarifying that as a microsoft mvp and a microsoft regional director i don't work for microsoft i don't direct anything i don't have a region and they don't pay me so i definitely don't speak for them now i only know what i've read and uh, i I think the bit that i read was on the risky business news the other day it it doesn't read great (laughs) for microsoft Uh, I cannot even remember all of the details because there's two other big breaches I wanted to, well, big things I wanted to talk about today. I'm not avoiding the question. I honestly just can't remember the details. I only just glanced at the newsletter yesterday. Uh, From memory, it was was an incident that happened last year. The timing was really bad because Brad Smith just came and did the whole trustworthy computing spiel, which, of course, is about taking security seriously. I'm actually saying that seriously. Like, that's the point. So to then have something which, which is best I could tell from the article appears to be state-sponsored as well with access to some security pros and execs details, uh, yeah, n- not a great look. I think some of the commentary I saw was around things like, uh, don't quote me, was it a credential-spraying attack against some non-production environment? And then a bunch of people were like, well, where was the MFA, which you should be enforcing every – I don't know. I honestly don't have good answers for it, and I definitely don't speak for them. Rob, good seeing you back in Aussie uniform. Yes, <laughs> thank you, Rob. Right, Cam's just said no to FA. Yep, so that, that was one of the recollections I had from that. Look, I, I guess regardless of how severe it was and it, 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 it doesn't seem like earth-shattering, and it it doesn't seem like a nothing burger either. But regardless of how bad it was, I think that the point is is that for every major tech company now, particularly those who carve out a niche in the security space, there is an expectation of not necessarily infallibility, but a very high bar. Uh, And the way it read is that the bar was not high enough and then to come on the back of the announcements around um, the trustworthy... Or was that Bill Gates as well? And trust me. Ah, oh, you know all the stuff Brad Smith did late last year. The timing was bad, uh, but I honestly don't have more detail than that. Now, stuff I do have detail on, a lot more detail than most people, is the Trello scrape. Now, also, it's so good to be back to good coffee. <laughs> Very good coffee. Let's talk about the Trello scrape. Um, <laughs> I'm a bit frustrated about this. On a couple of different levels. One is that we have seen so many very large scrapes of services in very recent times, let's say the last couple of years. It feels like by now we should be more on top of this. So let me have a a look. If I look at, have I been Pone? Who's been Pone? And I just search for scrape. Uh, There was Chess, chess Chess.com. This was in November, over 800,000 user records scraped there, published to a public uh, hacking forum. There were actually several other versions of that which were then published there, and I ended up not loading because, frankly, I was just getting sick of the drip feeding of data, and I I think the noise it makes for people uh, is is sometimes self-defeating. Duolingo, that was in August last year, 2.6 million records scraped out of Duolingo. Uh, let me have a look, uh, there was the Epic one in 2021 that was, uh, our data also included scraped whois records, let's go to just to the more recent stuff, oh Gravitar. Um Gravatar had a whole bunch of stuff scraped because the usernames were MD5 so if you go through and you get a whole bunch of email addresses, you MD5 them, you can throw them at Gravatar and get data back, the LinkedIn stuff last year, uh, that was like 20 million records right there. There was the 2021 LinkedIn situation. That was an, that was 126 million records. Crikey. Uh And then that brings us to Trello, which we'll come back to. There was Twitter in 2023. Uh, there was this You've Been Scraped one, which, uh, which Bob Diachenko identified. We'll come back to Bob in the next story. Yeah, and there we go. So the, the scraping is a thing. And, like, let's be really objective about this scraped data comes from resources which are intended to be publicly accessible now someone's LinkedIn profile for example it only works if other people can see it like there's no point having a LinkedIn profile and keeping it private now if someone manages to go through and request enough LinkedIn profiles then they get a very large amount of very useful data data that we made public Does that make it a breach? Does it just make it a scrape? Does it even matter? Is it, to use the term from before, is it a complete nothing burger? (laughs) The the problem, I believe, with this is that there's a couple of problems. Number one is, is this what you expected as a user of the service? So let's put it in the Trello context. Trello's had 15 million records uh, scraped, published to a public hacking forum where someone has listed it for sale, and... Someone has also sent the data to me, which is how it's in Have I Been Pwned. Now, I'm in the Trello data breach. I've used Trello before. If you've never used Trello before, it is a service where you can create, uh, it's almost like Kanban boards where you can put cards and priorities and lists and things like this. It helps you organise your life. Haven't used it for a long time. It was bought by Atlassian a couple of years ago, so it's now Trello Atlassian. Originally started from memory by Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky of Stack Overflow fame, which may have been why I thought it was kind of cool. Anyway. I did not expect to see my data there, and this is part of the issue I have with scrapes. Uh, now I've been in other scrapes as well, <laughs> such as LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, when when I signed up for Trello, and I, like it's it's not like you're going getting flashes across the front of the page, but when I signed up, I didn't sort of tick the box which is like someone may be able to use your email address and then pull a whole bunch of data about you. Most notably in the Trello incident, your name and your username. Now, it doesn't bother me too much insofar as my email address is literally on the contact link of my my blog. It's associated to my name and I think my username was like Troy Hunt and then a number or something. So it's, it, it's really not a significance to me, but it still surprised me. There will be other people who will also be surprised and if I was to take a poll, I almost put a poll out on this the other day, but I felt like it was a very predictable outcome. If you were to take a poll I would say the vast majority of people would not have expected their data to be accessible in this way and that is a core part of the issue and it's almost the Cambridge Analytica stuff from Facebook years ago as well where the data was there it is meant to be available in some ways but not in other ways so that's a large part of the problem the expectation from individuals as to whether or not their data would be publicly accessible in this way now of course part of this problem as well, which I think is a little bit different to well, maybe it's the same as LinkedIn is the resolution of the email address to the name now there are a lot of people out there who want to operate under pseudonyms LinkedIn might be a bit different insofar as there's not much point creating what is very often like a job seeking profile <laughs> under a pseudonym like, you, know, you don't want to go into LinkedIn and like be a furry or something like that because it's probably not going to help you get jobs but for something like Trello, there's no real great necessity, I would imagine, to associate an email address to an actual name. But maybe people do this. Maybe they use an email address which uh, which is a private one. They don't want to expose it to anyone else. And then they have a name attached to it, and they don't want the association between the email address and the name known to other people. Now, maybe that's not the case in most of the circumstances. But however, I would prefer to default to the side of, privacy in this case, and not make that information available that way. I'm not actually sure what the use case is for being able to put an email address into an endpoint on Trello and return a name and and username. I imagine there's a reason for it. They built that for a purpose. It's not clear to me why that is. It's not clear if it's actually necessary. I mean, let's say, for example, you're inviting other people to your Trello boards. Uh, Why couldn't you just put in an email address and then send the invite? And whatever endpoint it is that you hit as the inviter just simply says, hey, it's invite has been sent. Why why can't I do that? I don't know. If you <laughs> if you're from Trello, let me know. Hmm. So that's the first part of the problem, the expectation of individuals. The other part of the problem is the ability to mass enumerate. Now to, to sort of skip to the to the end of the story, and then we'll come back around What someone's done is gotten themselves a whole bunch of data breaches. They've pulled all of these email addresses out of them, including mine, and they've ended up with a list of some number of millions of email addresses. And then they've just been throwing them at the API or the endpoint or whatever it is so that it comes back and it says, All right, well, here's the username and the name associated to it. Now they've got 15 million hits. That is obviously a subset of the whole lot. I think I saw somewhere a mention of like 100 million, which is possible, a 15% hit rate. So let's say they made, for the sake of round numbers, they've made 100 million requests to the Trello API. Should you be able to make 100 million requests to the API and then pull back all this data? I would argue no. Uh, I would argue and it's probably in the terms and conditions somewhere that no one reads, but I would argue that you should not be able to do that Now, evidently, I don't believe it was their intention that you should be able to do that, and I'll say that for two reasons. I'm going to look up a tweet while I'm talking. One of those reasons is that somewhere in here I've read that the individual was using a whole bunch of proxies to bounce the request through. Now, why are you using proxies? You're using proxies so that you can make multiple requests that appear to come from different IP addresses. Uh, And the reason why that would be important is because there's some sort of rate limiting or other control on the IP, which would suggest that Trello recognises that you shouldn't be able to mass enumerate this resource. That's the way I read that. So to me, they're the two big issues. The fact that there's an expectation from individuals of privacy, and this would surprise them and the fact that whatever the endpoint was it was vulnerable enough to be able to make a very significant number of requests even though there appeared to be evidence from Trello to, uh, to try not to allow that now dig a little bit deeper I want to read the forum post that this individual made for the Trello data I'm going to read it word by word it's very short uh, and there's a very Specific reason I'm reading this specifically. Specific reason I'm doing it. You know what I mean. All right. So it's titled Trello.com. Fifteen million. Big Trello logo. Contains emails, usernames, full names, and other account info. Fifteen million one hundred and fifteen thousand five hundred sixteen thousand five hundred sixteen unique lines. Selling one copy to whoever wants it. Message on. me on site or on Telegram if you're interested. A sample of all lines which match Checo. Not sure why. C-H-E-K-O. That's it. That's the whole thing. So the entire crux of this is 15 million lines, username, email, full name, and other account info. This is 100% correct. (laughs) Putting aside for the moment that... At the very best, this is an abuse of the terms and conditions and conditions of use and whatever else. Uh, At worst, I don't know if this fits into some very uncomfortable legal area for the individual who's done this. Putting all that aside, what has been said here is 100% accurate. Now, I did see some press and I did see some comments which were not accurate. So, for example, I saw comments around things like, well, you've got to change your password. Well, no you don't, there's there's no passwords in there. You do not need to change your password. When I disclosed this to Trello and we had multiple communications backwards and forwards, uh, and and I will say they were good in that communication, Uh, one of the points they made is that there was no unauthorized access, which is also true. Um, Scraping is not exploiting unauthorized access. It's not like someone took over someone's account, they didn't find a SQL injection vulnerability, there wasn't a publicly accessible database backup or anything like that. There was no unauthorized access. So the Trello statement is correct. (laughs) I'm getting getting to something here. Bear with me. Reading the tweets. Uh, I want to get to Trello's statement on this. Now, I I didn't say it on on, on the tweet timeline, but (laughs) I'll say it here. I did say it at the time. I suggest you make a statement on this and you explain precisely what's happened. Now just leave that hanging there. Um, uh, and I did also let them know when it was going to go into Have I Been Pwned and when I was going to notify people. Uh, and from memory, the timeline around that was was about, so it was Tuesday morning, my time. It's Friday here at the moment. Tuesday morning, my time, when I have I Been Pwned, it would have been, it's more than a week ago now because it would have been the middle of last week. Uh, I gave them that timeline. I said, look, this. I'm traveling back to Australia. I'm going to do it when I get home. Uh, yeah, I, I will include the comments about Unleafrice Access. Now, they didn't make a post in advance, but obviously after it's gone to have a bampoon, they've seen tweets about it. I imagine that some people got in touch with them and said, why do you have my data or something like that? Because people forget they sign up for things. After they've, uh, they've made a post, and in fact, I, I think the, the Trello account, not realizing what my involvement was, has replied to one of my tweets here and they've said, we are aware of claims made by a threat actor about Trello user profile data. We completed an exhaustive investigation and did not find evidence to support that this data was gathered by unauthorised access. More information is available here. (laughs) There's two immediate issues that I I have with this, and then we'll read the bit that they've, they've posted. Two issues I have with the tweet is aware of claims made by a threat actor. Now, when you phrase it that way, aware of claims, it sounds as though there might be some dispute about the accuracy of the claims. There is no dispute. They know there's no dispute because they've seen the data. It is out there. It is exactly what it as is described as. Uh, now, maybe statements would have been a better word. I don't know. But claims, to me, just carries that loaded question mark as to the authenticity of it. And the other bit I found here was, well, the other bit I don't like about this Complete an exhaustive investigation, did not find evidence to support that this data was gathered by unauthorized access. Nobody ever said it was unauthorized access. The message that the person posted there in selling that data made no claims whatsoever about how it was accessed. There was never any, even an implication, that it was obtained by unauthorized access or exposed credentials or anything like that. Now, they also didn't say, hey, I've gone and scraped a whole bunch of data off your system. But at no point did they say what it feels like Trello is implicitly pushing back on here. Now, then the post that they've made says setting the record straight about Trello user profile data. And again, the the issue I have here is that it reads from the outset like statements have been made that are incorrect and we're going to correct it. Now, maybe they're referring to some of the press I saw, which is incorrect. Totally agree. But again, like on the surface, it just doesn't feel good. We're aware of claims made by a threat actor about Trello user profile data. We already talked about claims. We completed an exhaustive investigation and did not, bold, find evidence to support that this data was gathered by an authorized access. Yeah, I know. We never said it was. (laughs) That's not the point. A threat actor who was in position of pre-existing list of email addresses used those email addresses to look up public Trello profiles. The email addresses and the public Trello user profile data were combined to create the final data set which then feels like an admission of what it actually was we want to reassure you that the threat actor only obtained trailer user profile that was already publicly available and combine this information with email addresses that the threat actor had obtained from another source agreed you know the, the thing that got me when I first saw this I went control F scrape now I, I had no results when I did that before I've got ro- one result now which is a comment I haven't actually seen this comments here Someone says, uh oh, yeah, they're copied and pasted this statement from Have I Been Pwned. In January 2024, data was scraped from Trello and posted for sale on a popular hacking forum containing over 15 million email addresses, usernames, and you know what I mean. Let's look at the comments here. Um, This person says, the linked profile page does not work and redirects the homepage. I can't understand why it'd be disabled now. Uh, Someone else, are you logged in? Oh, this is a community leader. Someone else says transparency update. Someone else, I received the notice that the Trello board was scraped and information will be sold. (coughs) What measurement needs to be made as I trusted it was safe and used Atlassian to further enhance the security? There are a lot of info that could hurt, (laughs) H-E-R-T, my company, Badly Fleet. Fair question, no answer yet. And someone else has put something here in a language I don't know. So, yeah, um, I just, I felt there's a lot missing here. It's very, very short. It goes on to say there is no action you need to take related to your Trello account. Now, what I would have liked to have seen here is how do I stop my Trello account from being accessed by email address? Let me rephrase it just for the sake of complete <laughs> complete accuracy. How do I stop my username and my name being resolved by someone else who has the email address? Uh, so when it says there's no action you need to take, I'd like to know the answer to that. Please review your Trello privacy setting to ensure anything in a public field is something you don't mind being public. Okay, well, that's just, yeah, just part way there. Well, that, well that begs the question, because I'm in the Trello data breach. We've got a link here to trello.com forward slash you, page not found. <laughs> okay, let's, let's log in. It's been a while since I've been in this one. Now, do I log in with a Trello email address or an Atlassian email address? Which one do I use? Let's try this. Continue. Ah, oh, back to a login page. Okay, login uh, Two-step verification. Yep, that's done. That's fine. Uh, ah, about. Ah, see, it is interesting. It's immediately taking me to the profile page. Um, username: Troy Hunt. Always public. But see, what what I don't think is We're debugging this into production right now, like in the live stream production. Let's go to this again, Trello.com forward slash you, now that I'm logged in. Right. So what I see here is username, and it says always public. Visible to anyone on the internet, including those that find you through search engines like Google, edit your username to reflect how you'd like people to see you. Okay, but you can't change it. It's just always public. Bio, which is empty, always public. Can't change it. What about settings? Uh, language, uh, email notifications, their notifications. What I cannot find here and is the shortcoming of their disclosure <clears throat> is how do I not be in the next time someone scrapes all this? Now, we'll come back to whether or not that endpoint is still at risk, but there's nothing in here about how do I not be in the next Trello scrape because then what happens is it goes on, and I would say arguably about probably more than a third of this blog post is about or blog post disclosure whatever is this moreover here's some general best practices to keep your account secure enable two-factor authentication yeah okay but that's nothing to do with this issue use a strong unique password again different you can also use a password manager such as LastPass or hmm, Bitwarden <laughs> to generate and manage your accounts passwords yeah okay I don't have a problem with that but it is tangential and maybe that's the right thing to put in there when you're having a discussion about security, but they've missed the whole bit about how not to have the problem that we already find ourselves in. And this is this is what I just find profoundly frustrating because it's it would be interesting to see if anyone gets upset enough about this to make their life hard. Uh, and what I mean by that is we've seen. So many incidents before were even very minor breaches. And I I do still think a scrape fits in the definition of breach. We'll come back to my definition in a moment. So many really minor incidents of breaches, and suddenly there's like class actions or something. So I do wonder. I do wonder. Let me read the comments, and I want to finish up on this. Cam says, uh, Atlassian just said something similar for Trello 2. You know, when I was searching for Trello Breach to try and figure out already if this was in the news, I did find something uh, that I think was about two years old that was related to that uh, around scraping. Trevor says, uh, what's the worst that could come out of this? Fishing, maybe? Well, you know, it's it's always interesting to play that game, right? Like, how messed up could things get? Uh, I'll give you three possible scenarios. So... One thing that could be the worst for someone is that someone's IRL name gets attached to an email address that they had wanted to keep the association private. Again, doesn't matter for me, but it may matter to other people. Uh, so obviously, depending on the circumstances, the impact on that could vary wildly, but that is a concern. And, and based on what I just looked at, there doesn't seem to be any way to turn that off either. The other one to your point there is is phishing. Uh, It could be very targeted phishing because you know that someone has a Trello account not only do you know they have a Trello account but you know what their name is so you can craft a message which addresses someone by name it refers to a service that they use that's a risk Uh, and the third thing is just good old-fashioned spam Uh, it could very much be spam about using other services or hey I see you're interested in managing boards online (laughs) you know have you thought about using this other thing Um, probably the least impactful thing that but know that that is again the concern stefan's here good evening welcome back to australia (laughs) interesting to see more and more providers start to look at mandatory mfa which again doesn't solve this problem because it's scraped data that was intentionally public now in my blog post about when is a scraper breach uh i proposed that this is a reasonable definition i said A data breach occurs when information is obtained by an unauthorised party in a fashion in which it is not intended to be made available. Now, we might find that Trello said, look, it wasn't unauthorised, but I would argue that a fashion in which it was not intended to be made available holds true. And I believe that they believe that too, and here's why. So, this is my tweet thread down here somewhere. Um... uh they made some comments where is it on one of the news articles on the bleeping computer article right so bleeping computer normally does really good write-ups here this is from lawrence abrams uh abusing exposed api in a conversation with emo so emo is a person who posted this on the uh the public forum bleeping computer computer quickly learned that the publicly exposed api was used to associate email addresses with public trello profiles Trello offers a REST API that allows developers, so on and so forth I'll get to the interesting bit soon um, Bleeping computer contacted Trello and this is, this is. I, th- I think I made this point to them as well but when there is an incident like this when there's 15 million people in there uh, and that knowledge becomes public whether it be by have I been pwned or other services there are going to be lots of questions from individuals and journalists as well. And and the way I often refer to this is is I'll say, and this speaking generally, not just for Trello, if you don't establish a position on this, you create a vacuum of information because there's nothing in there, nothing out there uh, from you about how this happened. And the vacuum will be filled with speculation, uh, speculation from individuals, and also the vacuum will be filled by journalists. You are much better off going out on the front foot and being transparent and honest and saying, here's what happened. This is exactly what happened. Here's what we're doing to prevent it happening in future. Here's what you can do to better protect yourself and so on and so forth. Uh, now, somewhere in here, was it uh proxy? It's a here you go. When Bleeping Computer was told that Trello's API is rate limited per IP address, the threat actor said they purchased proxy service to rotate the connections and keep querying the IP constantly api constantly so obviously trello had some controls in there to try and stop mass enumeration uh, obviously limit by ip address now there's another interesting thing here where they've said there's their statement given the misuse of the api uncovered in this investigation it does say misuse we've made a change to it so that unauthenticated users slash services cannot request another user's information by email so they don't want this to happen authenticated users can still request information that was publicly available on another user's profile using this API so it recognises that there was a shortcoming because they've made change look if everything was perfect and nothing went wrong they wouldn't change anything but something did go wrong and that's why they've made a change but I can see how this might help address mass enumeration, but it still doesn't solve the problem of I could just create a Trello account, chuck someone else's email address in there and get back this data. That's my read of it. This change strikes a balance between preventing misuse of the API while keeping the invite to a public board by email feature working for a user. But again, like why do you need to return someone's username and their real name and even whether or not they already have an account into the invitation process? We'll continue to monitor the use of the api and take any necessary actions so all right anyway <laughs> that's that's my read on that we'll see if anything more comes out of this but they're just like one more on the list of services that have been scraped ah, yotam Perkal from israel sorry if i mispronounced that welcome uh stefan says also interesting to see the account enumeration is still the norm for most services There are so frequently enumeration vectors of one kind or another, Uh, and very often, I think Stefan was in my workshop many years ago, we would have done this, and Scott and I still do this in the workshops, but um, you very often find enumeration vectors in three different places on on a service. Uh, One is on password reset, where the service will come back and say either, hey, we've sent you an email, or the account doesn't exist, so we can't. So that's one place. Uh, The other place is on, on login there are a lot of services these days where you put in the email address first and then it's like either register and create a new account or now put in your password which of course is implicit disclosure of whether the account exists or not and even if you get both of those right the one that I almost always get a hit on is registration so you just try and register for a new account put in the email address and it will come back and go either yeah fine like complete the registration process or you can't because you're already registered so I agree, Stefan. Like, it, it seems to be the norm. But I'd also argue there's a little bit of a difference between enumeration, you know, like a yes-no to whether or not the account exists, and yes-no, and here is other associated data to the account, such as the name and the username. Ken's here. Ken. Adam, why do you think a lot of noise was made about the Medibank hacker? He's Russian, so unless he leaves Russia, he'll never face an issue. Okay, good transition. Let's move off Trello. It wasn't on my list, but... Let's talk about that because it was a big news story here in Australia this week. Uh, let me just find a good headline to read here. Medibank hacker named. So, backstory: we're well, we'll looking at this, in 2022, we had two really major security incidents here uh, in Australia. Uh, one of them was Optus. So, Optus had a data breach, which uh, <laughs> which also looks like it was enumeration. <laughs> It's a gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? In, in Optus's case, it, it, the, the theory is, and we've never seen a public naming the individual, but the theory is it was either a child or a very young adult found an endpoint they could chuck a phone number into, uh, add one to the phone number because you can keep doing that with phone numbers, and you get another phone or you get another set of data and it just returned a whole bunch of info. They put it on, on the same hacking forum. I think it was actually the predecessor to the same hacking forum that the Trello stuff was on. Uh, asked for a million dollars, then quickly recanted, and uh, my theory is got sent to their room to think about what they've done <laughs> because it was just all the hallmarks of of a child. Uh, and he said uh, I was in Canberra at, at the time. No, I was in Canberra. Just, I was in Canberra when Medibank happened. And speaking to people there who, who should know, I, I think that seems like a reasonable summary. Now, Medibank is Australia's largest private health insurer, very shortly after optus optus was september 2022 i remember that really clearly because charlotte and i were on our honeymoon in bali and i was doing all this media uh medibank was november from memory 2022 it was ransomware it got blamed on the russians very quickly because a that's usually right and b that's (laughs) just what happens a lot of the time now um But it was typical ransomware stuff where demands were made, negotiations had with the organisation, organisations said we can't pay, and they started leaking data. And it was was impactful because it was, I think from memory, about 11 million Australians. Now, we got about 26 million Aussies, I think. So that's a very, very significant portion of the population. Also significant because in order to maximise impact, they started by leaking the list of Who'd had an abortion, uh, and then they listed people who were having psychiatric treatment or you know, drug or alcohol dependency treatment—just the the most sensitive personal private information. So absolutely horrendous sort of behaviour. Australian federal police came out and said, "Look, we've uh, uh, we've identified that this is uh, sourced from Russia. We you know we're now what, just over a year on, and just this week." We've had uh, our government come out and say um, they have identified the individual. Now, the individual in this case uh, is Alexander Ermakov. They've named him as the person responsible. They've got pictures of the guy here. He looks normal. (laughs) I don't know what what more to say about this. He looks like, let's say, a mid to late 20s guy. There's a photo of him here wearing a shirt taken from... web camera that looks like it might be a potato but you know otherwise it's just very normal um, which is really interesting so what's happened is they've uh, they've charged him uh aussie government has put a whole bunch of sanctions on the individual including sanctions on anyone being uh doing any sort of business with him Uh, i believe that those sanctions have been extended to the us and the uk as well to the question here from Adam, what do you think a lot of the noise was made around it? He's Russian, so unless he leaves Russia, he'll never face an issue. Yeah, like that's... I, I I agree with you. And it's not like our Prime Minister can get on the phone with Vlad and go, look, hey, mate, there's this guy who's done a whole bunch of damage. Can you send him over to Australia and, you know, we'll we'll chuck him in jail or something like that. Like, obviously, that wasn't the case before the current situation with Russia. It wasn't the case yeah, 10 years ago. We, we haven't had any sort of bilateral extradition treaties. So that's not going to happen. It will put a lot of controls on the ability for the person to move anywhere. They're clearly stuck in Russia. But then again, I imagine most Russians are stuck in Russia at the moment as well. So that might not make a lot of difference. I don't imagine that putting sanctions around him such that individuals or organizations in those nations dealing with him would face a criminal penalty is actually going to do a lot because you would imagine that, you know, A, there's probably not a lot of that happening anyway. B, if he wanted to engage with one of these organizations, surely he would do it via someone else or shoot an animal or, or something or other. I wonder if where there's more value is over the longer course of time. I mean, let's imagine, let's hope, things settle down over that corner of the world. What happens in five years, 20 years, 50 years? The guy's young, all right? So is he pretty much Russia locked for ever? And also, what happens if uh, relations improve to the point where um, a Russian government in the future does want to start handing over wanted criminals. Don't know. So look, I, th- I think, Adam, to your question, I think it is probably the, the best outcome that could have been had, but I suspect that the impact on the individual is not of a lot of significance. I would also imagine, and I, and I did leave some common truth, one of the um, press outlets on this, I'd also imagine that he's not the only individual involved in this. Uh, very often these these ransomware crews operate as affiliates they might have bought the software from someone else Uh, whether or not it was just this individual sitting there on his lonesome writing the software getting it into medibank systems doing all the extortion everything else I I would be highly doubtful that it's just that one individual and then of course how much politics is there I I don't know like it's great we've identified the person but I imagine there's a lot of information that hasn't been said that probably can't be said who knows all right next thing where were we oh ah oh, this has been it's been a bit of a, a frustrating few days reading news and reading comments and things now we just got through talking about the trello stuff and how i felt that incident was underplayed in terms of what happened let's talk about the mother of all breaches as it's been called and how that as I've phrased it here in the description of this video, is the mother of all beat-ups. Uh, even my father-in-law was messaging Charlotte today, going, Have you guys seen this? Like, yes, we know. It's okay. So let me just find the blog post. Uh this popped up a few days ago from Cyber News. What was this? Four days ago, my time. Um Bob Diachenko. I mentioned Bob earlier on. Uh, Bob is a good bloke. And Bob has found a lot of really interesting stuff, uh, a lot of interesting stuff that's ended up in Have I Been Pwned? We've chatted many times. I have a little bit of a feeling this is one of those situations where he's found things and he's been very accurate and factual in his reporting and then someone has picked it up and spun it into something out of control. But uh, be that as it may, Bob finds a lot of really interesting exposed data. And he's found... What, what I think we could reasonably refer to as somebody's personal stash of data breaches. Now, the headline here says, uh, the supermassive, or oh, one word, is that a new word? Supermassive? The supermassive leak contains data from numerous previous breaches comprising an astounding 12 terabytes of information spanning over a mind-boggling... Is that two superlatives? <laughs> In one sentence, mind-boggling 26 billion records... The leak, which contains LinkedIn, Twitter. Have you heard of these before? this is like, where have I heard of those having a database before? Weibo, Tencent and other platforms' user data is almost certainly the largest ever discovered. And this is just, I can't even get past the byline without it sounding like bullshit. So the, I think the right way to explain this is I've often spoken about how data breach collection almost becomes a little bit like kids collecting baseball cards or something like that and you know they collect a bunch and then they exchange some with other people but unlike the baseball card is that you can exchange it with other people and you still have the original one and you end up with a lot of people out there with massive personal stashes of data add to the fact that storage is really really cheap locally storage on the cloud is really really cheap and then you have things like these public hacking forums where stuff like Trello data has appeared for sale but I'm sure sooner or later that will be there for everyone to download and there's so much data floating around and so many people collecting it and just putting it in a folder somewhere that there are many, many, many personal stashes around. There are many, many personal stashes that are intentionally publicly accessible. I know this because this is where I get some of the data for Have I Been pwned there is nothing newsworthy about a massive personal stash of data containing many many data breaches from the past and this is what's really grinding in my gears Now, just before someone jumps in and like oh well Troy's probably not happy because there's this other search service where you can look for this stuff that, that's not the issue there's been huge amounts of press sending people to have been pwned but it's created a lot of confusion and a lot of misunderstanding about what's actually happened I've got a, a tweet thread going with this I'll drop it into the into the show notes uh, and the last tweet here 21 hours ago I said this reporting is just getting stupid and what I'm referring to here is uh, ACS which is the Australian Computer Society .org.au, like their headline is big brands caught in mother of all breaches Twitter LinkedIn Adobe It's so, like, yeah idiots <laughs> Adobe was in 2012 No, 2013, because that was the data that originally fed into Have I Been Pwned. Twitter we know about, LinkedIn. These are all things. Like to say a big brand caught up in the mother of all breaches, what are you going to do? Like every time you go and you find some kid's personal stash, you're going to write a new story to say, hey, these brands are in a new breach. It is ridiculous. And I just don't know how this has gotten so much press other than the fact it's like there's a lot of press in the Norwegian newspapers every time someone gets nibbled by a shark. Someone almost never gets nibbled by a shark. We don't really worry too much about it. We don't worry about it at all here. But somehow this one little thing gets blown up into something which is just exponentially larger than reality. Part of my frustration with this is I then get all this communication from people saying, when are you going to put this in Have I Been Pwned? All of the, I'm not even going to name the names, but some of them you know, <laughs> everyone knows, and they're like, hey, this should be in Have I Been Pwned. It's already in Have I Been Pwned. And when we saw the list of like the 20 largest breaches, the first two are Chinese ones that were a bit weird for a few different reasons and didn't make sense to put them in there, and every other single one is in there. There's then a list that goes on to several thousand of all sorts of stuff that gets into very small, as in handfuls of records, unverified, attributed to a source, that are just simply not in there and they never will be, because they're either rubbish well, they're so small that they're of zero impact anyway. Anyway, a bit pissed about this. <laughs> like it's it's just frustrated the hell out of me. A- again, not not for any reason other than the misrepresentation and the over embellishment of it. And, and to have situations <laughs> like I said, like my even my father-in-law going, "Hey, have you heard about this?" It's just <sighs> we need to be concerned about the right things. We should be concerned. About our personal data being scraped off a service and email addresses associated to names. We shouldn't be concerned when data that's been out there for years and, years and years and years and years in massively broad circulation that exists undoubtedly on tens of thousands of different machines appears on one more. Like that just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Okay. I feel better now. Um Sam, what's the latest on CoinHive? How's it going? Let's check. (laughs) That's a good question. I haven't thought about CoinHive for a very long time. Uh, Let me just log in and have a look. Now, when I say log in, I'm just going to have a look at my Cloudflare dashboard. So quick refresh of all that loads. CoinHive is the service that used to be used for uh, putting a JavaScript-based client-side crypto mining service on a website which in theory should have been your own website and you use it to monetize your traffic instead of serving up ads because people don't like ads but apparently crypto miners are fine for reasons I still don't fully understand years ago someone gave me the domain they said look we're, you know, we're done with this I, I owned it uh, would you like to have it do something useful with it I now serve up my own JavaScript from that because CoinHive is on all of these different websites not just the ones that intended to be on there but every hacker worth their salt who could get javascript to run on someone else's website was dropping Coinhive in there and getting whatever the i think it was monero that was being mined sent to their own wallet because hey easy money so because all these websites are now embedding javascript from a domain that i own i just serve up a great big model and it's like this website attempted to run a crypto miner in your browser that's not good, you know. maybe you shouldn't do this. And then it redirects to my blog post. All right, let's have a look at the traffic stats here. Oh geez, <laughs> why is this still happening? In the last 30 days, there've been 1.86 million requests to coinhive.com. Damn, 1.86 million. Wow, there's actually a lot from China. That's crazy. Number one is the US, number two is China, number three is Singapore. They're punching above their weight. Isn't that interesting? Now, I've only got the freebie version of Cloudflare here, so I can't see things like referrers. should upgrade to Pro, shouldn't I? I should actually give Cloudflare some money, given how much they do for me. And and actually see if I can figure out where they're coming from. Unique visitors. 219,000 unique visitors. And it's tracking pretty much on 15,000 visitors a day. That's nuts. Wow. That's crazy talk. Uh, Yeah, I definitely can't get referrers on this free plan. I did have someone reach out to me recently, very upset, (laughs) that they were running my JavaScript on their website, which is the way I then explained it to them. But yes, inevitably, someone who doesn't understand the technology of it, but they're like, hey, you know, you're, your website is causing us harm sort of thing. I was like, well, why don't you stop putting my JavaScript on your site and the problem goes away. All right, I might upgrade that to pro so I can see the referrers because I I would actually like to follow up blog post. It was was a good question, Sam. I think that deserves some more airtime. Yotam says, not sure if I was able to get the message across. Um, Yep. You said, good night from Israel. (laughs) Cam. What did you think of the late Steve Jobs' boat this week? Yeah, so, um, what's it called? Venus, isn't it? Before Steve Jobs died, he commissioned a, I called it boat, and then someone said, no, it's not a boat. It's a yacht because it's so big. He commissioned a very uniquely designed yacht, and I remember at the time, like, reading it in the news and going, well, that looks very, very strange. Uh, And anyway, the yacht has ended up in our little harbour over here. It, It arrived here a few days ago, and, uh, we went past on the jet ski a couple of days ago. I took some photos and posted that. Still there today, incidentally. It is a really, really odd-looking boat. But it's like you know, sometimes you see a photo of a car or something, and it it, it looks like shit, <laughs> and then you see it in person, and you're like, wow, actually, that's that's not so bad. It's like that in person. It's actually really interesting. It's uh, it's just such a unique design. I'd love to have a ride. <laughs> <laughs> it looked really, really cool. So, yeah, look, at it looks It looks impressive. Uh, I, I think it's now his, wasn't it his ex-wife? I don't know. He got left to someone. I think it's still in the family. Um, it would be nice to have a boat like that. I imagine it's very, very expensive to run. But yeah, no, it looked cool. looked very, very cool. Sam says, how's the home automation going? Yeah, uh, so I came home to a few different little bits and pieces that weren't working because of a few batteries that were flat and things like that i'm about to roll over from having all of the Shellys in the house so i have got i think 70 shelley's or something i was originally using them via mqtt uh, message queues because they seem to be a bit more reliable uh, home assistant came along with a native shelly integration and then i end up using that as well so uh, effectively every shelly in the house had both mqtt and uh, a direct like http connection from the native integration I'm now gonna go through and get rid of all the MQTT and I just started doing that the other day and the main reason is I don't need the same device listed there twice that doesn't make a lot of sense Uh, and also I'm just finding it really really reliable communicating via the uh, Shelly integration within Home Assistant so I'd rather turn off MQTT remove all the settings from each one of the Shelly's which I can just script easily enough so they'll stop doing sort of mass communications via that protocol and they'll just sit there and be HTTP addressable. So I'm actually hoping that that maybe simplifies a few things in the setup, but I'm going to have to break a lot of stuff to do that. <laughs> and when I say break a lot of stuff, I had so many references to the MQTT entity names and I'm going to have to change them to Shelleys. But one thing I did, which was kind of smart, with <laughs> the benefit of hindsight is every time I set up uh, a new Shelley, I was setting it up on both platforms and i was suffixing it with either mqtt or Shelly. so it's like um let's say switch.troy's office underscore mqtt and then another one underscore Shelly. so i can literally just did a find and replace the other day and most of those worked across my scenes my automations my big remaining problem and i'm going to tweet about this later on as well is that i've got so many helpers that i've set up in order to have light groups that I need to do replacements of MQTT to Shelly, and I'm not sure if I can just, like, do a... F- you can't really do a final replacement in the UI. Can I just go into config somewhere and change those MQTT references to Shelly's? And then I'll just delete MQTT, and we'll just see how much stuff breaks. Your time, I sent another message. I think YouTube censored it <laughs> since I had a link. I wrote a LinkedIn post trying to reduce the FUD around the mother of all (laughs) beat-ups which i hope was able to get the message across uh reply to my thread on twitter and add it in there because people will see it there i hope all right two more uh two more things here um now one of them i promised charlotte i would talk about this today because it's something that's come up a little bit over the last week and a bit the uh the nas.api data that I loaded last week, and then the Trello data this week, because they're quite large, uh, a whole bunch of people have come to Have a Been and used the domain search service, uh, and in some cases had to buy a subscription in order to search really big domains. And one of the things that we're finding is happening a bit is the way we've we structured the tiers, if we go back to August last year when we launched this, is we said, let's take all of the domains that are being monitored in the system i think we made about 60% of the the first 60% in terms of size and size is based on the number of breached accounts on it first 60% all within free tier and then the remaining 40% we broke up into four groups so you know call it the 60 to 70% gap and the 70 to 80% gap etc and we put different tiers on them and the tiers are priced differently. They align with the pricing or the existing pricing of the API keys. And depending on the size of your domain, you need to have a different tier in order to search it. And that was just the most commensurate way we could find to make sure that the people with the biggest domains paid the higher amount and the smallest domains pay the, you know. Pretty straightforward stuff. But what we're finding time and time and time again is people are not understanding that it's based on the total size of the domain. Uh, so, for example, if, if I load another data breach today uh, and an organisation has five email addresses breached in it, people are often going, well, there's five email addresses in the breach, so I need a tier that's size for five email addresses. But they've got 300 email addresses total in data breaches, and that's what the pricing's done on, because all that data has to sit there and be stored and served and all the rest of it. And we're just finding time and time again via the UX people are getting this wrong now to be clear it's a very small percentage of people but particularly when the volumes are a bit larger that small percentage obviously means more people long story short if anyone feels like going and having a look at the domain search experience and how the pricing tiers are represented and how it relates to their domains and giving me some good feedback I'd love to hear about it I do want to do a full redesign of the have I been Pwned site this year it's been more than a decade And part of it is to try and really work on the UX and just make it clearer for people. Uh, So if you're up for that, go and have a look. Give me some feedback. Last thing. uh, I put this in here because it was a bit unexpected. It was kind of cool. Let me find this. Now, I mentioned Optus and I mentioned Medibank. Uh, We had another big data breach last year as well in Australia, which was uh, Latitude Financial, which was the only one of the three that I was in because I had a loan in the nineties and now, you know, here we are. So that was a bit frustrating. Um, when all of these incidents happened, the government started to get a lot more serious about the cyber. And in particular, our Minister for Cybersecurity, uh, Minister of Cybersecurity and Home Affairs, our portfolio is tied in together, uh, Claire O'Neill got appointed. Uh, and she's had a lot of good feedback, I, th- I think from the Infosec community around being quite tough uh, and also, frankly, calling bullshit when she sees it. Optus was a great example. I remember the Optus CEO, talk, she was oh, very sophisticated. You know, it's, I think the implication was maybe it was the Russians or something. Uh, and Claire came out and went, no, this was a simple attack. <laughs> you know, like she was just very, very direct about it. So I think she's appealing to a lot of people. Uh, a lot of talking tough, uh, a lot of funding being devoted, and a lot of resources being devoted to cybersecurity. There's this goal of making, I think the, the, the claim was something to the effect of making Australia the most cybersecurity company security country rather by 2030. Not sure how you measure it or achieve it, but the inclination or the indication rather is to give the cyber a lot more focus. Uh, so we're seeing her a lot in the news lately. Of course, it's not just Australia that's suffering <laughs> at the moment. Sometimes Jenna say, it's like, why is Australia under attack at the moment? Well, we're on the internet, you know, just like every other country. I bet you no matter where you are in the world, no one out there is going to go, well, we don't have any problems with the cyber in our country. It's everywhere. So anyway, she's getting a lot of good feedback. Uh, she gave Have I Been Pwned a really good shout-out. Uh, when was this? Two days ago. She says, uh, do you know if your password has been compromised? Go to the website and find out if it has Change your website, or change your password, and then she's got com under that. And it went into LinkedIn as well. Uh, and I haven't met Claire yet. We have a lot of mutual connections, and I'd really like to meet Claire one day, actually, because I think she's doing a great job. But that was very unexpected. And I think what I've said over the years of running this, we're like, we're a decade and a little bit, particularly in the earlier days, like <laughs> running a service that exists due to a whole bunch of criminal activity and then the proceeds of that criminal activity being used to seed the service felt very grey. <laughs> now, everyone knows my intentions. Like, the intentions were, were, were honourable. We've done really, really good stuff for this service, but it's in that grey area. And what I've found over time is that it's, it's almost kind of just legitimised more and more and more. Uh, and, in fact, at one point in time I wrote a blog post called The Legitimization of Have I Been Pwned. Actually, how long ago was that? Must have been organization of have I been here you go, 2018. Six years ago. So as it started getting particularly recommendations from like law enforcement agencies and things like this uh, I think my my comfort level for want of a better term really improved and of course since that time there's been a lot more coordination with law enforcement agencies, the relationship with the FBI feeding in genesis market uh data feeding in passwords the the pwn the password pipeline uh and a, a recommendation from the likes of our cybersecurity minister uh are just nice <laughs> maybe that's the way to put it it's nice to be able to feel like this is this is doing something good and it's being recognized by people in positions of authority um so I don't, I don't really think there's anything more to it than that. It's not like I've seen a massive uptick of Australian traffic and now we're going to shoot for the moon. Uh, I noticed someone someone two days ago when it came out said, well, that's it, like Troy's going to be in for a new jet ski now. Um, no. Coincidentally, we had picked up a new jet ski the day before, but it had nothing to do with this. Uh, it's, it's, just, it's just a good feeling to, to get recognition like that. So, so thank you, Claire. Uh, Cam, do you have any thoughts on the news today about Apple complying with being required to open their iOS in the EU, e.g. side loading browser engine etc from a cybersecurity perspective? Now I only just read this whilst I was literally sitting out there on the back of the boat in Australia Day just flicking through my messages enjoying the sunshine so my understanding is that EU regulations are saying Apple cannot have the monopoly on an app store, they've got to be able to have uh, apps loaded from other locations I, yeah, it kind of Kind of feels like many of the things we're worried about with Android, particularly early on, if you can take apps from untrusted sources, there's a whole other discussion about how we define trust. That does obviously open up a whole bunch of issues. C- clearly, Apple's not real keen on that because it they like having a monopoly. Um, I kind of get the EU position just based on the very small amount of red, insofar as governments and consumers generally don't like monopolies monopolies are generally not very good for for competition uh for improving the ecosystem everything else but ios has been such a robust secure operating system for so many years in in part because that has been the one channel where everything gets loaded side loading has been non-trivial it's it's still been possible You, you could have uh what is it test flight and things like that to Side load things from other places but that's not something that faces your mainstream consumer if we now have hundreds of millions of europeans being able to like load stuff in from all sorts of other places i don't know we'll see so yeah cam that's about all i know at the moment mate. that's just the, the bit i've read i i'm hoping to listen to this on risky business <laughs> next week or something and actually hear some more informed opinions okay folks i'm going to wrap it up there go enjoy the rest of my australia day Uh, I will be coming to you from home again next week and for quite the foreseeable future now. Um, Until Sydney, NDC Sydney. Actually, NDC Sydney, I might be back here because I'm going to come back on the Friday. And if you're in Australia, go check out NDC Sydney. It's on in a few weeks from now. I'll be there talking about how I met your data. Thanks for watching.